This is Invite to Game Night, a podcast for the hospitable board game lover, or anyone desiring to curate a richer board game experience. My name is Alexis Harrison, and I invite you to join me as we explore together what makes board gaming wonderful. Welcome to the table. For our second episode, Alexis and I will explore ways to enrich the experience of playing board games remotely. Now, this is a topic that has become uh, increasingly relevant over the past year. What? We've had uh, social distancing has become the new normal. We've had uh, increasing frequency and duration of of lockdowns. Uh, Periods of self-isolation have become a reality for people. this is more and more something that, that is part of the fabric of how we do life when we're trying to stay in touch with people. And in this time where we're so fractured, board games can be more important than ever before for facilitating and maintaining relationship building. Now, before we really get into it, I want to start things off with an icebreaker question and a quick discussion of the board games we've been able to bring to the table lately. Question. Have you ever gotten lost? What happened? Oh, I actually have a really good story for that one, or at least a really clear memory of that one. I was about 10, I think, and we were on a family trip in Quebec. And at the time, I I think we were in Montreal. I can't remember if it was Montreal or Quebec City, but I'd gone with my family and my aunt and uncle and cousins into a Dairy Queen. And they all needed to use the bathroom, and I got lost in the cake book. And I was flipping through all of these cakes that I wanted to eat. And somewhere during that time, I missed them all going to the bathroom. And when I resurfaced, I didn't see anyone. No one that I knew. And I looked around, didn't see anyone. I looked outside, and off in the distance, caught my aunt. And so I went tearing after her, terrified because I was in a city that I didn't know, that mostly didn't speak my language, and had no idea where all of my family had gone. So I see my aunt go tearing after her, weeping, fall into her arms, something like that. And she, you know, comforts me and you know, I come to find out that they're all just in the bathroom and my aunt just had gone to mail a letter and apparently I just am a major zone outer and that was totally out of the loop as to what was going on. So I count that as getting lost. Really, I was never lost, but man, did I feel like I was lost. All right. My time getting lost. Uh, I was up visiting some cousins in Prince Rupert. Now, Prince Rupert is kind of north, north, west coast Canada. It is the very furthest north you can go along Canada's western coast. Yeah, like, it's, it's a long drive. And so it's, it's north enough. If you go out, you know, if you drive your boat out on the water and then look back at the land, you can see the, the long skinny tail of Alaska um, just above Prince Rupert. So that's, that's how far north it is. It's also very small. Like the city's small. All the towns you right. drive through to get there are small. Um, when I think of Prince Rupert, I, I just I think of small. 
And I think that was part of the problem with, with this particular trip that we took. Uh, we took a, a boat ride out to one of the islands that was around the area. Okay. And uh, came up on this island. And, you know, we'd been passing a lot of smaller islands as we went by, you know, just driving past them. You know, it takes all of 30 seconds to, to drive on the boat from one side of the island to the other. Anyway, we come to this one island and we're having a, a picnic or a beach day at this island. And me and I think it was three, three friends decide to go hiking and explore the island. Okay. So we strike out. You know, it's, we're thinking, what, 15 minutes, we'll get to the other side of the island, loop back around or come straight back. Easy. <laughs> Famous last words. Well, 15 minutes go by. Probably 15 more minutes go by. And I don't know exactly what happened with the people that we left at the boat, but now it's it's been a half hour and they're looking for us. For our part, we were hiking, we were trekking, and we were getting a little bit worried because we're passing through now, you know, two or three or four different biomes almost. <laughs> Like, Not as small as you thought. We went from, you know, rocky, pebbly beach to, you know, the, the forest, the, the dark forest that we're climbing uphill onto the, onto the island. And we're thinking, okay, we get to the top, we start going back down, we're on the other side of the island. That's great, but that's not how it happened because all of a sudden we come into meadows <laughs> and then a different kind of forest Oh you know, not, not the not the evergreens. These ones are, you know, whiter trees. And um, at one point we passed through, looks like a bit of a, a fire had gone through. Oh my goodness. And so it's like, oh, this is, this is an actual hike that we're on. And, you know, instead of turning around and going straight back, for some reason, we turned to the side. Maybe thinking like, okay, we'll just, you know, from here, cut our losses, but we don't want to turn back. We'll just cut down to the beach from where we are. And, and so we we're going through and we're, we're keeping going through still much longer than, than we should have been gone. Yeah. We finally stumble back down the hill to the beach and there's our boat cruising along the coastline of this apparently enormous island yeah um because they'd sent out a search party for us because that's how long we'd been gone oh my goodness do you know how long it was in the end i don't know maybe maybe an hour hour and a bit would be my guess okay Um, enough that they were like uh what's going on yeah so that we we got in the boat and and went back and had a laugh so not not really lost okay but was for the, all intents and purposes, lost. Was the driver of the boat laughing? Uh, after they found us. Okay, okay. Speaking of getting lost and nearly abandoning all hope, I want to kick off our games that we've been playing with Abandon All Artichokes. Uh, Abandon All Artichokes is a little game, comes in a tin. It's from a Game Right Games 2020 release designed by Emma Larkins. 
We can play up to four people. It's about 20 minutes. Although for our plays, I think we've been averaging about 13 minutes for the two of us. It goes pretty quick. Yeah, jumps into the 20 minute range when you add the uh, the third person, I think. Yeah. Um, this is a, a really neat little game. I've really been enjoying it. It's based on uh, a deck building mechanic. So deck building games, you start with a hand of pretty weak cards. And over the course of the game, you're, you're adding cards to your deck. Um, you know, they shuffle into the discard, you shuffle your discard, and you have a new draw deck, you draw your hand. In deck building games, there's kind of two ways where you can do this. One, you can add more powerful cards to your deck. Right. And that, that seems to be where most deck builders kind of, that's where they live. Yeah. Um, and, and getting like synergy between your cards. Right. Now, another mechanic in, in deck building games is reducing the number of weak cards or starting cards that you have in your deck. Right, right. And a lot of cards, you know, this uh, a lot of games, this can be a really powerful part of the deck building mechanic. But it's very rarely the main strategy or main mechanic. Right. It's usually just a way to you know, not have your deck be too diluted. Right. This game takes that aspect of it the idea of you know you get rid of your weak cards yeah and that is the whole game here you have you start with a hand of 10 artichokes that do absolutely nothing and yes you are adding better cards into your hand but the game ends when you draw a hand that has zero artichokes in it yeah and so it's it's neat i i think it's uh, a fun um a fun way to w- have to win. Yeah. And and Emma Larkins, she's gone so far, she describes it as a, a deck wrecker. You know, it's almost <laughs> like a, a reverse deck building. Yeah. Game. Yeah. No, it's it's fun. And it's fun because there's ways in the game to give your artichokes to other people. And so, you know, thereby helping you and hurting them. And still, it's quite light and fun. It is. and And I think... So, yeah, you can give your artichokes to people, but this game is not actually highly confrontational. Uh, because you think about it, it's, first of all, it's very simple, very light. Yeah. You know, it'd be a nice light game for anyone. Um, you know, there's no currency, so you're not spending currency to buy new cards. But I think one thing I really like about it is there's actually no direct take that mechanics like there there is take that but all of the cards it's usually a toss-up if you play some of these mean cards right it could end up hurting like you could end up with an extra artichoke or something right. like that it's, like it's it's yeah, usually flip over a card and if it's something then do something so yeah you could give one of your artichokes to someone else but there's always that chance that it could backfire on you. Yeah, for and sure. And I, I really like that part of it. For sure. Another game that we've been playing a ton lately is The Crew, um, the Quest for Planet Nine, 2019 game published by Cosmos. Uh, the designer's Thomas Singh. And this one, well, we had a bit of a rough start with it since we were playing it for about 20 rounds incorrectly. Thank you, Gordy, for 
half reading the rules. I know I could have read them myself, but I trusted you. And uh, whoa, 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 whoa! <laughs> could I just interject here? I was reading the rules on a deadline because <laughs> I had many, like there was only like two or three pages of rules. It's not a very big rule section to that book. Huh? You're right. You you could have read them yourself then. Anyway, we ended up doing about 20 rounds where we were playing like 40 levels harder than where we should have been. And so it was pretty much impossible. And then we found the correct rules and almost instantly won and moved on to the next level and have been loving it ever since and reading the rule book a little bit more meticulously. Okay, you, you say loving it ever since, like you weren't loving it during oh, those 20 plays. Okay, fair. It fair, was fair, 20 fair. plays. Fair. But it was this love-hate. <laughs> like, we hated how hard it was and how crushed we were every time we lost. But we just had to play it again because maybe next time we would win. Well, and I think one us. of the coolest things about that was actually came pretty close to beating we it on did. the super hard, we impossible did. level a couple times. Yeah. When that comes back around, when we're like actually skilled enough to beat it, it'll be like coming home. We will know what we what to do. We'll know. Do you have another one, Gordy, for us? I do. So if Abandon All Artichokes was a very small game, the next game I want to talk about is big. Like, we're Box talking... Size alone. Well, and just massive. Um, this was a game that we backed on Kickstarter. When the package arrived at the front and I went to pick it up, I don't think I'm stretching it too far to say I almost threw my back out. <laughs> it was pretty heavy. Not what we'd normally expect from a Kickstarter. No. So, the game I'm talking about is Sleeping Gods. This is uh, Red Raven Games, 2021. Ryan Lockett is the the designer. Uh, On the box, it says that games will last between 1 and 20 hours. (laughs) Um, I think we're we're hitting kind of the three-hour mark for most of our plays. Yeah. I'm guessing the one hour is just because the game is really hard and I guess we could have lost in the first little bit if we played poorly. Uh, I think actually the one hour, this game has a pretty good saving mechanism. So if you wanted, you could sit down, play it for one hour or half an hour. Oh, that's how they're working. And just save it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, So this is for one to four players, I believe. It is a cooperative game, and it's a cooperative storytelling game. With a surprisingly cohesive story, given that there's so many maps and different locations you can go to, and keywords that will unlock different parts of the story, it it works together pretty well. Well, yeah. So the, the term for this is it's a sandbox game. Which means there isn't a set storyline. You can go wherever you want. There's about 20 pages of maps before you add in the expansion. Right. 20 pages of maps. 
you can go to any of them. And on any of them, there's encounters that you can have with their own, uh, their own story arcs. And that's why it's so surprising how cohesive these stories are. Right, right. Um, there's lots, there's lots of like these little branches, but they are all connected to, you know, a base that, and it, it, they they work together. They make sense. Yeah, and I, I don't want to get into it too much because spoilers. This there could be a lot of spoilers for this particular game. Yes, definitely. But I think the mechanic that works so well with it. Well, one, I mean, a lot of time went into this. I think Ryan was working on this for years and years. He had to have been, um, given that he also did the artwork. Right. And I think and it's he and gorgeous. his wife did the soundtrack for the the Kickstarter release. Like, that's Ridiculous. a talented bunch. But yeah. I, I think the mechanic that he introduced with this game that worked so well is his use of keywords. Because if you go to a location, there's kind of two streams. There's just something that will happen there unless you have the keyword blah, blah, blah. And if you have the keyword blah, 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 that means that you're there with a specific intent or something in the world is different and someone's looking for you there or, or something like that. Right. And right. so you get immediately these two story arcs. If you have the keyword, you know, it's one story arc. If you have, don't have the keyword, it's it's this other story arc. And, and so it's a neat way it's a lot of, fun. of integrating kind of the whole what you've done with what's about to happen. Absolutely. Um, he's done this kind of thing, not to the scale before. Uh, he did Above and Below. He did Near and Far. I think this one, I would say it's a better story, a better, better, more cohesive story. And I'd say a lot more streamlined in most of its mechanics. Yeah. And now this isn't entirely fair since we got the Kickstarter, but might I say the pieces are a cut above the rest. I mean, there are the cutest little stakes and tiny little carrots and metal coins. And it's, it's very satisfying to play with these pieces. Very satisfying. Yeah. Kickstarter is not always the cheapest way to go, but the the rewards are pretty cool. Sure is fun. One last game that we've done a lot lately and really just over the whole last year is Detective, a modern crime board game. This is a Portal Games release from 2018, designed by Ignacy Chevicek, Shemiswav Reimer, and Jakob Wapo. I worked very hard on those names, and I am hoping that Google did not steer me wrong on Polish pronunciation. Here's to hoping. But this one's been a lot of fun um, to play remotely with a few friends, Um, as we're working together to solve these different crimes. It doesn't rely on very many pieces. There's cards. There's a tiny little board where we move our car around so we know what location we're at. And a few tokens. Otherwise, it's, it's hugely based around reading, discussion, and a lot of problem solving as a group. And that leads us nicely into our topic for today. We want to look at playing games remotely, whether that's over Zoom or FaceTime or whatever platform you use. There are so many ways that we can 
continue board game nights even when it's not possible to meet in person. Um, now, we're not going to talk about some of the, the obvious ways being, you know, using those online platforms like Tabletop Simulator, Tabletopia. We're not going to look at that. It's not something that we've done personally. We're by no means the expert on that, but, you know, by all means, go look them up, do some research on those. I know a lot of people have had fun playing games um, through those avenues. We're also not going to talk about apps um, there are many good games, though, that have been um, moved onto a, an app format, such as Root and Wingspan. You know, those are available on the App Store. But again, we're not the expert on that. We want to focus on playing your physical games over a video chat platform. Right. And just to add to that, the reason we're not really delving into those kind of online platforms or playing over apps is because the experience that we are wanting to talk about in our podcast. We want to take the experience of board gaming in your home and recreate it as closely as possible. You know, that face-to-face interaction, the, you know, you can see, see them, you're, you're in the room with them but on the other side of an internet connection. Right. Attempting to recreate shared space. Exactly. Yeah. Gordy, can you share with us what are some of the games that have worked well for us over the past year playing remotely? Okay. I mean, you, you've talked about Detective, the modern crime board game. Done that one a uh, lot. We've done games like Floor Plan and Welcome to, uh, Welcome to Your New Home. We've done Quacks of Quedlinburg. We've done Wingspan. We've talked about doing some some different party games. Yeah, we've talked about doing Mysterium, a little bit of a different feel to the other ones that we've done, but we're pretty sure that one would work well. Yeah, so it, it might be helpful at this point if we kind of dove into what are the features of these games that have worked well over mm-hmm. Zoom or, or haven't worked well. Uh, or wouldn't work well, or or what makes us think that we could pick a certain game and and successfully play it over FaceTime or Zoom. Right, right. Well, I think, and this is a fairly obvious one, unless you're set up with multiple cameras at different angles and some, you know, a few wide-angle lenses, you really need to pick a game that doesn't require being able to see like a whole table all at once. You need a small field of view. That's just a logistical requirement. Yeah, yeah. Um, actually, this this uh, reminds me of uh, I listened to the the podcast Ludology with uh, essentially a bunch of game designers, and, yeah. and they talk about how they design their games. One of the things that one of them, I think it was Scott Scott Rogers. He was talking about zones of play, and I think okay. he, he described six zones of play, but the main idea is that the further away physically and visually, the further away something is from you mm-hmm. when you're playing a board game, the less likely you are to pay attention to it. Sure, so sure. So you've got like your immediate zone of play is your, your tableau or your player board that's right in front of you, and then 
after that, you've got the main board where, where things are happening. And beyond that, maybe you've got the scoreboard or, you know, beyond that, you've got what all the other players are doing. Right. So limited zones of play, would that be well, the right way to put it? Yeah. Yeah. Keeping, keeping it to kind of immediate and just beyond immediate zones of play are the ones you need to worry about. Right. Right. Um, I think that's, that's maybe why some of the roll and rights we've been playing have worked really well. Floor plan and welcome to. Right. Cause all that you need to worry about is let's say with floor plan, you know, the number that you rolled on the dice and the piece of paper where you're filling in your selections based on the dice rolls. Um, and then I guess the one other thing are the gold cards and keeping those in mind, but that's it. There's not, right. there's not like, a lot of areas you have to worry about. If someone was in the same room as you, I guess you could be worried about how close they are to such and such a goal. But at the end of the day, it, it right, doesn't, just, doesn't make that much of a difference. Right. You can't change what they do. Uh, yeah. You're just doing your own thing. So it, it works when, well. Actually, I kind of wonder if in some ways playing those roll and write games over Zoom or FaceTime might actually bring some of those zones of play into more immediate focus. Because, you know, you think about how we've done, let's take, uh, let's take floor plan. You know, we take a picture of the goals that we're trying to get yeah. the, to score points and we send that to whoever we're playing with. Yeah. Um, and then we take, uh, no, we don't need to take a picture of anything else. That's all we send. Uh, I mean, we, oh, we need to send them their their player sheet. Right, the, the sheet that they're writing on. And Gordy, you've run into this in some of the podcasts that you've listened to, but how do board game designers feel about you, you know, taking a picture of a piece of the game and sharing it with someone who hasn't bought the game? Oh, yeah. Uh, good question. Um I've not listened to a whole bunch of designers on this, but the designers that I have listened to when they've been asked this question um, have been very gracious um, in in this time, especially in this time of the pandemic. And yeah. I've, I've listened to some designers, some publishers. So you're kind of getting all sides of who could be, sure. who could mm-hmm. weigh in on this. Yeah. And they all kind of go along the lines of, I mean, hey, if you can afford to go out and buy the game, like, obviously, we'd love if you went out and right. bought Support the us. game. <laughs> you know, we're, we're getting hit hard here, too. But, you know, if, if you're not, you know, you're not trying to make a buck, you're not trying to, you know, weasel out of sure. buying a copy, you just want to play with your friends, Um you right. know, in, in this time where you can't gather in the same homes, you know, they're, they're okay with, or at least they, they've said they're okay with kind of print and play versions that you can share. And especially if one of you owns the game. Right, right. You and know. at the end of the day, how is that really that much different from you having a bunch of your friends come over it's, and play? It's still only one copy of the game that's been purchased. Right. So I guess we can kind of leave it, you know, by all means, buy it go if you buy can. the game. Yeah. It, it would be worth it 
in a lot of these cases for you to have a copy of the game. But, you know, if, if you're playing a game with someone and, you know, I, I think it's, it's okay to, to take a picture of the goals, to send them a picture of the, the, the sheet that you need to write on. Um, Welcome to even has an app version, a free app version where you can go in and you don't need the sheet to write on because you do it in the app. And this has worked so well. We've done this with a number of different people using different devices and the experience has been smooth. Everyone has found this to work really well and there haven't been a lot of, you know, like tricky anglings of the camera a little bit so that they can see the goals um, and the cards. But as far as games over video chat, this has worked so well. And I think a big part of that is the format of the player sheets. It's been really awesome. Well, and I like them because they do the math for you. <laughs> right, right. It does the total for you at the end. It's brilliant. No calculator needed. <laughs> now, before we move on to our next feature of, of you know, games that work well over, over these platforms, I just want to go back and distill down... We were talking about zones of play. Right, right, right. And I think we were headed in a direction, like, I was thinking that doing these kinds of roll-in rights over these platforms actually brings some of those zones of play into more focus because see that. you don't have to share, you don't have to have a shared space on the table that everyone can see to have the goals. True. You have it right on your phone, right in front of your face. You've got your own, uh, your own player sheet in front of you. So it actually brings that, that zone of play closer to you, more immediate. Sure, sure. I can see that. Well, and we've done with the goals, I think we might've mentioned this already, taking a picture on our device, texting it over so then they could just look at it right there. And yeah, they've got it really close to them and it's very accessible. Yeah. And I think that's really, that's a huge part of what can make distanced games successful is making sure that you don't have too many zones of play because the more zones of play that you have, the harder it's going to be to, to send those. Yeah. Well, and I can see that the players on the other side of the screen will feel more disconnected from the game and maybe a little bit less engaged if there is you know, that distance from key aspects of the game um, might be a little bit harder for them to stay with it, if that makes sense. Oh, sure. Well, imagine games that have, you know, a big map that everyone is moving their pieces around in. Mm -hmm. You're always the most focused on the part of the map where you are. Then you're focused on the part of the map that you're next trying to, to control. You know, right. that your, your goal is the next thing that you're focused on. Everything else is a bit more of a blur. You know, some people more, some people less. Mm -hmm. and, and that's what makes, you know, makes those kinds of players good at those types of games is how well they can keep all those zones of play in focus. Right. But you try now sending that map through a video feed. Very hard. It's, it's going to be much more difficult to keep those zones in mind. Right, right. So it could make it really hard to play the game well if it's not immediately within your, your vision. Yeah. So games that will work well, conversely, are going to be games that what you're worried about can all be pretty close in front of you. 
For sure, for sure. Which makes games like Welcome to, Floor Plan, um, slightly less, but it could still work. Welcome to Dino World. All of those, either flip and write, roll and write, that type of format, it, it, it lends itself well um, to, to this. Yeah, no, I think I agree that Welcome to Dino World wouldn't be as good. Why is that, do you think? Well, if I remember correctly, there's a few more, there's a few more goals. In Welcome to, you have three goals. That is it. In floor plan, I think there's six, but they're all contained within three cards. Welcome to Dino World, I believe there were a few more things to be concerned about, as well as you could buy additional goals. Right. You had you had a shared draw deck that you were buying out of. Right, right. Um, so it's your goals are expanding as you buy more, which is increasing the number of things you have to think about. And if you're sharing the deck, somebody's going to have to keep sending you pictures of the new cards that you buy. And you're going to have more things you're going to have to, you know, flip through and look at and keep in mind as you're playing. So that actually, I think, is another huge feature of games that, or, or a feature that could make or break whether games could be played easily over distance mm-hmm. is what kind, of, what kind of pool or what kind of deck are you drawing from? Right, right. Well, and I think if the deck is, you know, if everyone has their own personal deck, you can find ways to make it work. As soon as it's shared and, you know, what one person picks, as if that's affecting what someone else would be able to pick, things are getting a little bit trickier to manage. Right. So if there's like a lot of unique cards mm-hmm. or you can't have doubles of cards um, or just if you're trying to remember what's in the deck. Sure. And right, if you can't see what people are pulling, it's going to be nigh impossible to keep track of yeah what's been taken already. Yeah. So to play games over distance, you really want, uh, I, I'm kind of wanting to call this an independent draw state. Sure. You know, you're pulling from a pool but what you pull doesn't necessarily affect other players. Right. Or a shared, you know, like with, with these flipping rights or these rolling rights, there's that shared information available to you. Right. Because you flip over the card or the set of cards and everyone does their own action with that bit of information. Yeah. And what I choose doesn't directly impact your choice with that information. Right. And that can be, you know, with the flipping rights or rolling rights where you're rolling the dice, everyone does something with the, the number that's ruled. Um, mm-hmm. Or, you know, we, we've played wingspan over Zoom. Right. And there, there's so many bird cards that from game to game, it really doesn't matter what anyone else has. Yeah, the options are... <laughs> with the expansions and the options are almost unlimited and yeah even if so so just to give a little context the way that we've played this is with someone else who owned the game so both of us had the same decks but obviously the cards available to the person on the other side of the screen were different than the cards available to us but like you said 
didn't really impact the other person. Right. Even though we were picking from different pools, we had different options. It actually didn't change the feel of the game at all. No. And especially since with that game, at the end of every round, you're clearing out the available cards and starting with new ones anyway. Like there's, there's a constant changeover. You're not ever stuck. Right. Now, I should say it was kind of hilarious in that game because the person on the other side of the screen, we were playing with them, and they started doing this action um, every once in a while. And it was such a familiar action because it was the same action that I was doing about as frequently. And I, I looked at them, you know, do you have the Canadian goose? <laughs> And sure enough, they did. And right, the, what are the odds of that when there's so many cards? Right. There's got to be, what, over 100 at least? Yeah. There's a lot of cards there. And yet somehow you both ended up with the same one. And that's something that would never happen in a game where you were in the same space. But it didn't really matter. Right. It didn't affect anything. No. And it was still a lot of fun. And in a way... I think it encouraged a little bit more communication than Wingspan might normally have because, you know, I had cards that impacted them, a few, not a ton, and they had some that impacted us. So we had to constantly be like, hey, did have you guys done such and such a thing? Because if you have, I have a card that lets me do this and vice versa. So I think that was one positive to playing this game in a different format is it, it did foster a little bit more checking in with each other and not getting quite as caught up in our individual boards and plans. When it was, it was a moment of fun. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's important when we're looking at these games and how we play them over Zoom. I think we should note here, you can make pretty much any board game work. Just about, just about. Uh, with enough creativity and cameras and right. devices you know we even we were talking about zones of play we talked about maps you know I, I think of how popular the game root is and that's a game there's actually a huge amount of or a huge um, distance in the the zones of play there because you have this big map that you're worried about mostly you're tucked into one corner of it depending on which faction you're playing mm-hmm. root is incredibly popular if you had a group who was just, they were devoted to Root and wanted to play the game, you could make it work. It's true. It's true. If you, yeah, you could suspend a camera so you get a good view of the board and it would involve a lot of move me here. I'm doing such and such. Do this with my pieces. Now find and pull this card out of the deck. and Yeah. So uh, it, would, it would be tricky, but you could do it. But at the end of the day, you have to decide, is it worth it? And is it impacting the experience in a negative way? Right. I think for us, we really want to focus on games where the experience is the same as, or maybe even a little bit more fun playing it over Zoom or FaceTime than in real life. Yeah, I think as soon as you have a situation where one person is more or less controlling everything and everyone else is just telling them what to do with their pieces, 
it's going to be really hard to stay engaged in the game. And that one person doing everything, they're going to be kind of tired at the end. And it's also going to be hard for them not to start to dictate a little bit. I would think if you're already in charge of the, you know, the physical aspect, you might start to be like, well, what if you did such and such instead? Or I think yada, yada. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. So could go one of two ways either you have the alpha gamer come out um or they get burnt out run down because everyone else is telling them what to do no no not that space the space right beside it no that right not that right beside it the one below it a good exercise in communication to be sure yeah i'm you know i'm thinking about something like like pandemic yeah uh, again the game it could work. It could work because there's a lot of shared information and you could have someone, you know, flipping the cards and moving the cubes, moving the the little uh, people around. But would it be as fun? I don't and know. Some people may decide yes. But I think for us, it's the kind of thing like the less you have to have one person moving other people's pieces and in charge of every moving object on the board for us that kind of takes away from the fun and the experience that that person is having but so also the experience that all the people on the other side of the the connection are having yeah well and they can get a little fiddly sometimes you know making sure you've done exactly what they want you to do especially when there's lots of pieces on the board there's a large margin for error and you can waste a bunch of time in them correcting you. Yeah. Now we've said that you can make pretty much any game work over zoom or FaceTime. It's true. Yep. I think there is a class of games where that's absolutely not true. I'm probably tracking with you here. What, what are you thinking of? So I'm thinking of dexterity games. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. If it involves physical manipulation of the pieces, you're going, it's out. You, you can't quite simulate that. Now, I'm guessing that things like Tabletopia probably have some dexterity type games maybe on there. I have no idea. Maybe. Oh my goodness. I can't even imagine. But certainly if you're going to play over FaceTime or Zoom, you can't do it. And certainly that's not the type of game where you can really play by proxy. You can't have someone else doing it all for you because then they're just playing the game alone completely. Right. No, it's, yeah. And it's not your dexterity. It's their dexterity. So they're basically just playing two people by themselves. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So dexterity games out. I would also say that you know, let's say card drafting, you know, where you have a deck of cards, you take one, pass it. Doesn't <laughs> like really you're, work. You're going to pass your hand through the uh, the internet connection yeah. to the other side. Maybe someone more ingenious than myself could come up with some way to make that work, but I don't see how. I kind of wonder if you could do it over an Excel spreadsheet. You know, you have a few different tabs open and everyone shifts to the next tab. Um, you know, you can copy paste out of it. But again, is, you want finicky, <laughs> right? Are, are you taking away from the experience of the game? And at that point, I wonder, 
if it's more about being dedicated to that particular game than it is about playing a game that's going to be as much fun in real life as it is over the the Zoom call. Well, I think the social aspect of it, the lightheartedness, the fun... um, yeah, you're starting to to compromise that at that point. Right. So maybe let's go on and talk about some other... I, I think those are maybe the two features that might be completely prohibitive of playing a game over or FaceTime or Zoom. Dexterity but, and... And... Um, <laughs> we, were, we were just talking about it. Card drafting. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, but there are other features that I think are definite negatives to how well games can work over Zoom. Okay. What, what do you have in mind? Um, anything where physical object manipulation has to happen quickly or in real time. Um, you know, I'm thinking Kitchen Rush. You know, if, if Kitchen Rush were slow... Right. You could maybe have one right. person moving Take all those pieces. Take me to pieces. the kitchen and wash some dishes. Yeah. But since you're on the timer, uh, I think it's not going to be fun. It's going to be frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. That would be quite annoying. Now, I, I think in Kitchen Rush, there aren't there some shared um, like workers? How does that work again? Yeah. I think everyone has their own two is it two or three sand timer workers that they're using but then there's some that are kind of like in a pool that anyone can use right yeah but it would be like that one person having to go to all the different places and pay attention to all the timers and receiving orders being you know barked at them through their ipad or phone i feel like they would have an aneurysm that would be so challenging well, you know what it'd be like It would be like playing a solo game with someone standing over your shoulder telling you what to do. Right, right. Or or quintessential backseat driver. (laughs) Totally, totally. Yeah, except that they're technically playing and so then they feel like they're, it's legitimate backseat driving. (laughs) Right. So, right. Timed games wouldn't work. I have no idea how you'd play Dutch Blitz over... That I, yeah, that just would be not right really again. Possible. If there was no time, if it was a turn by turn, uh, you know, the other person could tell you which card they wanted to flip over and where they wanted you to put it. Uh, something as fast and cutthroat as Dutch Blitz, psh, you're ignoring them, <laughs> right? And if you were doing it turn by turn, slow, placing your cards in a civil manner, you're not playing Dutch Blitz anymore. Exactly. I don't know what you're playing, but it's definitely not touch blitz. I think another thing that is going to be prohibitive of playing it online, or at least lower the experience when you play it online versus in person, is games that have a really nice tactile aesthetic. Okay. You know, there are games where, I'm going to be honest, one of the reasons I like playing them is because I get to pick up and hold the pieces. I have a feeling you have Honey Buzz in mind as we're talking about this. Yeah, yeah. Those little honey drops are amazing. And right. the, the heft of the pollen as you toss a couple up and down in your palm. I Honey Buzz would not be as fun without the pieces, right. I think. Your Good f- game. Fuzzy little 
a main B. Yeah, good game, but made so much better by the pieces. Absolutely. Uh, but even something like something like Splendor. You know, Splendor's a, a, a fun game. I, I like Splendor. I, yeah, I really do like Splendor. It's solid. It's solid. I like Splendor more because of the, the heft of the poker chip pieces. <laughs> right. Right. Those gems on the coins and the weight of them. It feels like you actually have something of worth. <laughs> and that really fills out the experience of playing the game. Yeah. Um. One other thing that I think could be difficult to pull off over over FaceTime or Zoom is games that there's an optimal point of view. Okay. You know, you, you kind of, how you're looking at the board or looking at the table or looking at the setup changes how you're going to play it. Hmm. Well, and certainly you could be at a business bit of a disadvantage if you're not given that optimal point of view what what game do you have in mind here well in here i'm i'm not sure um maybe some some tile laying games you know anywhere where you have to do mental gymnastics you know okay if i rotate this 90 degrees if i flip it over is it going to fit in that space where can i put it best okay and here you're thinking of if the person who doesn't have the game with them is having to maybe tell the person on the other side of the screen like how to lay down a piece, is that kind of what you're thinking? Exactly. And, and like, no, rotate it that way. No, 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 that. And yeah, it, it would be really hard to get a good sense of that, that visual component. Well, and I know for me, I'd be frustrated because, you know, I, I have decent ability to maneuver imaginary objects in my mind but there comes a point where you just kind of need to move it around in your hand and oh nope this is the one that fits plunk it down right so i i don't know i think those are some of the features at least the features that jump to my mind as these are not things that will work well over zoom yeah and we've talked about some that will work Let's chat about a few other games that have those features that are, are conducive to playing over a platform, um, like a video chat platform. And Okay. Uh, I, yeah, I think I know what you're saying. So the features were kind of minimal zones of play. Small um, field of view, which is connected to that. Right, uh, independent draw states, uh, and kind of a low dependence on manipulating yeah. uh, pieces. And we hadn't really talked about this directly, but I think it's important that there's not an abundance of hidden knowledge, you know, a whole bunch of stuff that you have to keep secret. That's so much harder to do over video chat. I mean, I think it's pretty easy to keep secrets over video chat. You just hold your secrets outside <laughs> of the camera. That's true. But if you're not the person with the game, a little bit challenging to keep that information from the person who has the game. Okay. So what, what, uh, what kind of games or what kind of knowledge are you thinking here? Well, um, if you have, you know, let's say Unmatched, for example, where the cards that you have, you have to keep secret. 
You don't want other people to know what you have, you know, what's in your arsenal, so to speak. Unless you have a copy of the game and can, you know, have your deck of cards in hand, I, I don't know how you would play that with someone else over a video chat platform. Oh, I see. So, um, right. So you're thinking if, you know, one person is managing all the pieces, how do they keep the secret from themselves? Exactly, exactly. So in a situation like Unmatched, I think you totally could play it, but it would really only work if both sides of the screen had a copy of the game. Now, that's true because... If both sides of of the chat have a copy of the game, some of these features actually become a little bit more flexible. Very true, very true. Like, you know, we, we already talked about Wingspan. I think Wingspan wouldn't work very well if only one party had the game. Yeah, too, um, much, too much to manage. Yeah, and... Yeah, zones of play come into it a little bit uh, because then you have to, or not not zones of play, but maybe field of view comes into it. You know, you have to have put too much information up on the screen for them. Mm-hmm. Um, but both parties have a copy of the game. Well, you've got your independent draw states. Yep. It's not, you don't have to keep track of too many zones of play. It's not super fiddly. You don't have the host moving a whole bunch of pieces around. Right. And when we've done it, we just coordinated dice. So, you know, we said, okay, this time we're going to roll the dice. All right, here's what's available in, you know, in the food pool. And that seemed to work just fine. And then at the end of each round, we just had to say, you know, okay, how many of such and such did you have? Yeah, we, we made sure to have common goals and common food. Uh, food pool and right. that that was it and it worked just fine another one that we've done is quacks of quedlinburg and again similar to wingspan you know everyone has their own little board where you're keeping track of things and your own pot yeah no i i agree uh, so quacks um it's a it's a pool building game where you every turn you are pushing your luck. You're pulling from your own little pool, the a little bag that you have, and you're setting mm-hmm. things down, getting more and more points. But the more you draw from the bag, the more chance you have of busting. I, I think in this case, it's your your potion that you're brewing bubbles over or something like that. Explodes, yeah, something like that. Yeah. Right, and it works because everyone has their own pool that they're drawing from and their own cauldron that they're placing their ingredients in and the only thing that's really shared is the scoreboard and the round tracker yeah and and what the tokens do true yeah yeah so you coordinate those pieces as long as everyone has a copy of the game it works it works just fine yeah and yeah i would say in a case like that, our games have been as much fun as as everyone being here. Mm-hmm. Honestly, one benefit in a case like that is why couldn't you even expand the player count? You know, if you had multiple people with multiple copies, you know, and each one had a copy of the game, what's to stop going beyond the normal player count? 
Oh, Cause, sure. Because you're mostly limited to how many tokens there are and how many boards there are. But if you have more token, more tokens and more boards, you could have a big group going on a normally, you know, max four player game. Right. Well, and it's it's not turn taking. It's all simultaneous right. play. So it's not going to take longer. I guess you'll have a higher chance of one person taking longer than everyone else. Sure. Um, but it's not. I don't think that'll be a huge factor. That's yeah. a great idea. Yeah. So, I mean, one little benefit to playing it in a different medium. The next one I'm thinking of, we haven't done, but we've talked about it a number of times as one where if there was more than one copy of the game, you might be able to make it work. Um, I'm thinking of Harry Potter Battle for Hogwarts, which is, you know, cooperative deck builder might work if you have more than one copy of the game in circulation. Oh, sure. Now, this this is a game that we've mentioned, I think, both of our last two episodes, I think we've mentioned this game. I'm not surprised by that, given how many times we've played it in the last four years, I think we've had it. Yeah, so how this game works is you've got a, a board set up, and you've got... Uh, a couple of challenges that you're trying to accomplish. You've got a pool of shared enemies that you're all working together to defeat these enemies. Um, you have events that pop up and affect the whole group. And then you have a shared pool of, of cards that you can buy from. Uh, it's a deck building, cooperative deck building game where everyone manages their own hand, their own deck. And I think that's why you're thinking it could work really well if everyone had their own copy of the deck because it's their own hand that they're worried about plus yeah. what's happening on the board. Right. And we can't exchange cards. You know, your deck is your deck. Now the one piece where some coordination would be involved is as you're buying cards to add to your deck. So I think what we decided is one person would have to be in charge of, you know, laying out the available cards. And if someone on the other side of the screen wanted to buy one of those, they would then have to search through their deck you know, the the big deck, find it, and then add it to their personal deck. Right. Not a huge deal if it's, it's something that comes up every third card, like Quidditch gear. Uh, <laughs> but if you're looking right, for or... Dumbledore or the, the right. wand... Right. Okay, wait five minutes while that person finds the card. Now, maybe you can mitigate that a little bit by sorting some cards ahead of time. You know, put all of the allies together. Put all of the spells together or even sort by spell type. There'd probably be ways to make it streamlined a bit. So I think with enough determination and you know everyone having a copy of the game, it could work. Sure. No, I, I think so. I don't know. I, I kind of feel like that exhausts at least what I can think of off the top of my head for features that lend themselves well to playing over distance and features that are prohibitive against mm -hmm. playing over a Zoom or FaceTime connection. What we haven't talked about yet is the actual experience of playing. Like We've alluded to it a little bit. Right. Um, and and we've, we've definitely, we've talked about games and we've wanted to select games where they're as much, to, as much fun to play 
over Zoom or FaceTime as they are to play in person. And we've yeah. kind of ignored games that get less fun for whatever reason. Yeah, yeah. Well, one thing that we've tried to do to help maintain the game night experience, and it's something that we've not always done well, but I've tried to focus on a little bit more, is making sure there's still conversation and socializing, not making it all about the game. You know, log on, play, sign off, that sort of thing. Because that really does not, eh, that's not really connected to board game night as we know it in person. Right, which can be hard. I mean, neither of us are, um, neither of us are natural conversationalists. Not really, no. So it's definitely taken some intentionality, at very least just to, before jumping into the game, hey, how are you? What's new? What's going on? And then maybe at the end, you know, maybe you just have a couple minutes of conversation about the game. Like, hey, wasn't that fun when such and such? Or next time, da-da-da. And I think that's key for that, that relationship piece, which is really what we want game night to be about. Well, I think, yeah, we're, we're having to fight against the distance. You know, mm-hmm. the very act of inviting someone into your home kind of builds that connection. Here, that that doesn't happen. Not in so the same way, no. you have to go that extra, it, at least I've, I've found, we've needed to go that extra step towards making those connections, drawing people in, in, in talking, um, and, and not just being all about the business of the game. Exactly. And thinking of a couple other things we've done to help facilitate that one is let conversation happen where it's you know where it wants to pop up you know in the middle of the game you know we've had times where you know our daughter will come in and interrupt and so you know we pause and let a little bit of conversation happen there or if something in the game sparks a thought in someone and they say, Hey, that reminds me of such and such that happened to me recently. We let it happen and embrace it. And we don't worry too much about, Oh, got to get back to the game. Got to get back to the game, but let those bits of, you know, tangential conversation happen. <laughs> well, I, I think you're, you're being actually quite generous here to me. Um, <laughs> because I, I tend towards being, all about the game like oh yeah no that's that's cool nice comment and let's you know back to the game it's my turn it's your turn you know, right. who's next uh, true true so it's maybe something that needs a little bit more focus but i think it's important because that's what happens in game night and i've definitely wished witnessed you with in-person game nights being like mm-hmm, okay and it's your turn can you please take your turn now <laughs> but i think i think it's it's not always something to be squashed, especially when you know, you're playing over video chat and the conversation might be kind of limited. Let oh. it happen where it wants to organically. And especially when, as soon as I step back from the game, I realize the game is, is the tool for connection. Totally. You know, it's it's totally. bigger than the game. And as, as much as I want to keep the game rolling and really just get in because of the, the mental challenge and the rhythm of it all, 
you know, when I step back, it really is about more than the game. Totally. We had talked about another way to, you know, help with that connection piece. And it seems so simple, but I think it's really important. And that is just making sure that the camera on your device is positioned so they can see you. I've played games where I kind of sat just outside the field of view, or maybe the camera was pointed up more towards the ceiling. Maybe you got like the top of my head. And in a way, that was me not fully engaging. And I think whether consciously or not, I think the people on the other end of the other side of the screen, they get that, you know, if they don't see your face, I don't think they feel as connected to you. And I think there is a sense of like, they're not all here. They're not invested in this. They don't necessarily want to play this game with me or they're not, they're not, they're just not all in. Well, and even if they're not framing it in those kinds of thoughts, there's a feeling of disconnect. Totally. I I mean, I think it even happens when you give your attention to things outside of the video feed. Right, right. Like, you know, someone walks in. Checking your phone. Right, or, or, you know, someone walks in in the room. If you're in game night and someone walks into the room, they're entering game night. Here, over FaceTime or Zoom, that's not the case. If someone walks in the room, your attention withdraws from the video chat so that you can turn to look to them or talk with them and it just it becomes it's it's an immediate disconnect totally so one final piece that i think can at very least enhance your long distance game nights is considering some creative ways to to make it more fun we haven't done these but you know I was doing a little bit of brainstorming. I thought, how fun would it be to have, you know, like a wine and cheese game night? So ahead of time, you know, everyone collects their their drinks and their their snacks in a in a shared theme, and just enjoying that together while playing games might take it to kind of the next level, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's kind of a, a neat idea. It's certainly not one that I would have thought of. Yeah. And and for some people, that wouldn't do anything for them. That wouldn't make it any better or more interesting. But some people, you know, they might really get excited about something like that. I could see in our COVID world where we don't really get to dress up and go places, it could be fun to have like a fancy game night, you know, wear your finest attire and join us for game night. I, I think, you know, you could go so many different ways with it, but I, I, I think we shouldn't feel limited, you know, to only be able to do screen, game, that's it. I think we can make it so much more. Right. Yeah. That's a, a neat, a neat way to kind of build connection beyond what's happening on the screen. Yeah. And at the end of the day, we just want to encourage people to keep playing games, be creative, find ways to make it work, to make it fun, and continue to 
create an environment where you can connect with people and have fun. Yeah, and I mean, I imagine that most of our listeners would be at least intrigued by the idea of playing board games and maybe playing them over Zoom. Uh, If anyone stumbled onto this podcast thinking that it was about watching the football game and that's what game night was, uh, (laughs) they've shut off the, you know, they've exited the podcast by now. Oh yeah, long time ago. Even for the people who play board games or are intrigued by playing board games, maybe playing board games over Zoom or FaceTime isn't something that they've done or isn't something that they have any interest in doing. So I think it would be an interesting question to pose to our listeners. You know, what are the kinds of things that you've done over Zoom or FaceTime or another platform in this time of social distancing? You know, what's what's the coolest thing that you've done? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, maybe give a pause and think, why was it fun and how did it work? And maybe how could that be transferred to long distance game night. Yeah. So respond to the question. If you would, what's the coolest thing you've done over zoom or FaceTime? You can leave your response on our Instagram or on Facebook. You can also email us at invite to game night at gmail.com. And that's two with one O until next time. This has been invite to game night. For today's favorite things, we want to know, who is your favorite Hogwarts professor? Oh, good one. All right, I'll start. I first really wanted to say Trelawney because she's so quirky and lovable, but I realized that's probably mostly Emma Thompson and her genius, so uh, this is not going to be surprising. I had to pick McGonagall. She is awesome. Maggie Smith, yes, but also just McGonagall and all of her epic moments. Love her. Amazing choice. I would have been tempted to go with McGonagall. I feel like she's maybe a little bit too stern. Um, no, I also... she's got a soft heart. Soft <laughs> heart. Uh, I think Severus Snape, I kind of went with a little bit lean towards him but again uh, I like his character in the books don't think I'd have enjoyed him as a professor he's pretty terrifying that's very fair so I think I'm gonna have to go with Firenze well fun question for today we want to hear your answers feel free to comment on Facebook or send us a message on either Facebook or Instagram, we'd love to hear who your favorite Hogwarts professor is. Thank you for listening. Episode 2, Zooming Through Social Distancing, was recorded on March 18th, 2021, and produced with assistance from Fishy Crackers and Copious Counts of Caffeine. If you've enjoyed this episode, we invite you to continue the conversation with us on our Facebook page or Instagram. You can follow us at Invite to Game Night or email us at invite to game night at gmail.com. 
Join us next time for A Board Gamer's Guide to the Rulebook, The Misadventures of Well-Meaning Hosts, and How to Do What Watch It Played Has Already Done Better. <laughs>